Let me be asking you to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, where we will begin our lesson at this hour. And while you're doing that, I'm going to just say a few words of introduction. I want to add to what Todd said a little earlier. It's been such a blessing to be here this weekend, and we thank you all for the invitation, and especially to the elders who have planned such a series as they have several times over the last several years. And I appreciate the fact that they see the need for lessons like this. You need to hold up the hands of your elders. You are blessed to have the men and wives who are willing to serve in that capacity. And I want to give special thanks to Reagan. He's an organizer and a go-getter, isn't he? And you're so blessed to have him and Stephanie working with you. And I know you know that. Uh, because I know there's a church close by to us that tried to steal him from you at one time. <laughs> and it didn't work. <laughs> and it's a blessing for you. And, of course, the Hancocks have been the foundation rock here for so long. My, my, what a blessing they have been, and we thank God for them. And, uh, Harold, you and I know that at our stage in life, one of the nice things to do is to look back and see these younger men coming along and developing And even though Todd's my son-in-law, I can brag on him a little bit. I think you see the quality of preparation and delivery and thoughtfulness that he brings to this, don't you? And there aren't a whole lot of folks that can do lessons like these. And so I thank you, dear Lord, that you've sent Todd our way to help carry on this kind of a message. And I hope I'm looking at some folks in this audience this morning, younger people, who are also interested in the sciences. One of the things that's been fascinating to me during this weekend is to find out how many in this church are involved in the sciences some way directly. That's quite amazing. And you are blessed in that regard. So some of you young people, I want to hear, my dad died at 102, so I have 30 years left. (laughs) I want to hear about you talking about some of these topics and building the faith of other young people. It's needed. So, thank you for all of that. And then folks who take care of us during the weekend and feed us and nurture us and help us. And yes, I did get a basket too. (laughs) By the way, let's see, when was it? Friday night. We we were kind of late over here with the Q&A and we got home a little bit late because we stood around and visited too. And... um, I sat on my bed and nibbled on some of that stuff. How sweet it was. It's like, thank you. And thank you for the thoughtfulness. That's what we love, especially. And again, I want to say a word to our AV and IT guys. I think you can see with this kind of a series, you're absolutely dependent on that. And especially in this modern age, if you don't have good visuals, we're lost. So you have to have a crew like that, and you folks hold up their hands because they are critical in the way that things are done these days. So Eric and Josh and whoever else is involved, God bless you, and we thank you for the work you've done for us. And I'm sure I've forgotten somebody. Just uh, consider yourself thanked. And my Marilyn would say to you, and one of the negatives about this for me this weekend is Marilyn can't be here, so she sends her love to all of you. We have a lot of connection with this church. And one of the main things is through one of my other sons-in-laws, Bill Eskett, whose mama lived among you for a long time and family. And you all 
you're part of us. I mean, we're family. So just know, Marilyn sends her love too. All right, Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to start by reading verse 15. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. That's the title for the lesson this morning. What I hope to accomplish by the end of this lesson is to explain to all of us, myself first, and all of you, what mind he's talking about here and why it makes such a difference. So that's my goal. And before I go down that path, I want to make a personal observation. One of the reasons this type of a series is so meaningful to me is because I want to have some kind of a small part in helping folks understand better the majesty and the wonder of the God we serve. And you can do that partly through the sciences. It's not an end in itself. But my prayer always is, when I participate in something like this, is, dear God, give me the words spoken, fitly spoken, words of encouragement and strengthening that will help us to see better who it is we serve and want then to give our lives more fully to that service. Part of this mind that we're going to be talking about this morning is a mind fully convicted that there is a God and that he is powerful and that he's majestic, but that he also cares about me and you. That's an amazing thought. And it deserves the best that is in us all. So it's always my hope that after we talk about these things and then tie it together with a scriptural thought, that we will leave this place different people in terms of our level of commitment to who we serve. So I'm going to try to get that in about three or different, four, four different ways here this morning. You just understand from the beginning, that's what it's about. And it's directed first to me. And then if it helps you too, that's wonderful. What we're talking about in Philippians 3 is a man whose whole life changed when he found the Lord Jesus. Let's begin in verse 7. But what things were gained to me, these I've counted loss for Christ. Indeed, I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. I interrupt my reading right there to remind you that the book of Philippians was written from prison by the Apostle Paul. And to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him 
and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. I interrupt the reading again there to tell you this man was facing death because he was a Christian. And he was happy about it. The very idea that he'd be privileged to die because he was a Christian. Verse 12. Not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. I love that expression at the end of verse 12. Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. And what I want is to lay hold of what he has given me. Verse 13. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the mark for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us who are mature have this mind. What kind of a mind? Well, for Paul, it was single-minded. There was only one thing. So my first question to you and to me is, is that the way it is for me, Christian? If someone observed me in my life, would his thought be, or her thought, thinking about my life, would they think, that person's got one thing that matters, and that's the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Compared to anything else, that's the only thing that matters. Is that the level of commitment that I have? A little bit later in verse chapter 3, verse 20, would you look there with me? For our citizenship is in heaven, from whence we also eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he's able even to subdue all things to himself. You see, we don't belong here, Christians. This is not where our citizenship is. Now, we don't give up citizenship in the United States of America when we become Christians, and I'm thankful for that. But our true citizenship is in heaven, and that's where our mind is. Have this mind. We're here and we're dealing with life. We're citizens of the greatest country ever existed. Pardon my little, you notice I wear a flag. And some people misunderstand that. I wear it because I respect what our country has stood for. And I think it still stands for, although there's a lot of mess going on, wouldn't you agree? But why is it that there are millions of people trying to get here? It's because we live in a place on earth where you can do what we're doing this morning 
and give a fully committed life to Jesus Christ, and nobody from the government's going to come in here with a gun and tell us to stop it. I'm thankful for that. That wasn't the way it was for Paul, was it? No, folks, he was in prison when he wrote this book. So it doesn't matter for a Christian whether you live in the United States of America or in communist China. Your commitment's the same. Because our citizenship is in heaven. And the question is, what kind of a mind do we have as Christians? And some folks say, well, he was an apostle and he had special privileges and and I, look, I get it. We can't have the direct operation of the Holy Spirit upon us and having had God talk to us directly. Neither were we privileged to see the Lord Jesus resurrected. He did, and that's how he could be an apostle. So I understand there's differences here. But can we get the kind of mind he had? He tells us to. So I want you to turn to Ephesians 3. And let's answer this question. Can I have such a mind, or is that just beyond my grasp as a measly modern-day Christian, not an apostle? And I say yes. And so the same apostle who wrote Philippians wrote Ephesians, the apostle Paul. And when he prays in verse 14 of chapter 3 for the church at Ephesus, He's praying for the church at Timberland Drive, right here, and for each Christian in it. So please, would you, as I read this prayer from the words of the Apostle Paul, would you put your name in there while I'm reading it? Because that's who it's talking about, you and me. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, Bob and Bill and Tom and Harold and Reagan, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. If that passage teaches anything in Paul's prayer for you and for me, is we can get the kind of a mind he's talking about. If we're filled up with God's fullness, because he can do through us how did he do it? Through the power that works in us. We can be transformed and have a mind like we never had before. So yes, 
You can get a single-minded devotion. So can I. So now I want to talk a little bit about something that hopefully ties this together with what we're doing this weekend. My Marilyn and I and our son Benjamin moved to Romania in 1993. It was pretty dramatic for us. I was working at the college and had two or three jobs and had been on a visit to Eastern Europe twice. And that was in the years right after the communist system fell apart. Now, some of you in this audience are old enough to remember that, right? 1989. Nod your head and make me feel better. 1989. You young people that weren't even born then, that was the most dramatic year in my life politically. Now, help me, folks. Kind of nod when I say something you remember. 1956. No. 1956. Hungary declared their freedom from the communist system in Russia. And they sent in the tanks and crushed them. So when in 1989, Hungary in the spring of that year took their barbed wire fence down and declared freedom from the communist oppression of the USSR. You kids even know what that is? United Soviet Socialist Republic. We all knew, some of us that were old enough, knew they were going to send in the tanks and the blast, like they're doing in the Ukraine right now. And they never sent them. And then the Czech Republic revolted. They called it the Velvet Revolution with Vaclav Havel. And then Lech Walesa in Poland, you remember? Rose up with the working class and took over Poland, and they never came. And in November of that year, they were dancing on the Berlin Wall. Do you kids know what the Berlin Wall is? Some of us remember when our President Reagan stood at that wall and said, tear this wall down. And nobody believed it would happen, but sure enough, it happened in our lifetime. And so whole of Eastern Europe opened up. Some of us went in there and took a tour of those countries, and everywhere we went, people were saying, bring us the Bible. They never had a Bible. So I'll give that as background to say, Marilyn and I just, I mean, we prayed about this. We just had to get over there and try to help. So Romania is the place we picked. Bucharest, Romania, I would not give you a test right now, but I bet you can't find that on a map. You know uh, the reputation of Americans in Eastern Europe? They're folks that know one language and can't and are terrible in geography. Maybe you're not that way. Christians shouldn't be that way. <laughs> but we moved to Bucharest, Romania to help spread the word of Jesus in that place that had been told for centuries, and especially the last 50 years. There's no God. So my story is, I was privileged to teach in Constanza on the seacoast of the Black Sea, among other places. 
And that seacoast town is the only port for the whole country of Romania, and so that's where all the Navy is. That's where the merchant marines are, which are folks that travel around the seas and the oceans and do business. And so while we were there, we were privileged to talk to a number of people and bring them to the Lord Jesus who hadn't heard about him before. But the case I want to talk to you about specifically is a young man who came from a village and was a merchant marine, and he happened to be in town the weekend I was there that week. And he gave me three days of his time before he had to leave again. And so we spent the time talking about the stuff we're studying this weekend. Of course, it wasn't the same material because some of it hadn't even happened yet. But I had a lot of good material on why should you believe in God? This young man was raised under the communist system. He had been taught that religion was not only ridiculous, it was dangerous. You remember that Karl Marx taught that religion was the opiate of the people. And so no one was to have any part in that under the communist system. And this young man had never seen a Bible. And his view of Christianity, which was the only one over there at that point, was the Orthodox Church, the Romanian Orthodox Church, which I'm fully convinced had gotten in bed with the Communist Party. We started our study. I opened up to him evidence from the natural world. My personal view, ladies and gentlemen, is that if you're going to talk to a total atheist who doesn't even believe there's a God, in fact, believes God thinking is dangerous, you don't start by opening your Bible. Why would you do that? He doesn't even believe there's a God. So why should he believe this is the word of God? There isn't a God. So we start with the natural world and try to show him just looking at the natural world leads you to understand there had to be God. Which we did for three days. I love it. And when you're one-on-one like that, you can cover a lot more material in less time. So if you think you got fed by a fire hose, you ain't seen nothing. And he soaked it in because he was a science guy. And by the end of that three days, he was telling me, he said, you've shown me things I never dreamed of, and I thought all this was ridiculous. It's not ridiculous at all. There's a powerful evidence for God. And I, came, I firmly am convinced he became a believer in God. And then he had to leave. <laughs> so I never did get to teach him further enough about it. I did get to go into the Scripture some, and we talked some about Jesus and Paul's commitment to him and how he changed his whole life, like we just read about. And his observation to me was this. He said, if this God we're learning about is so wonderful and majestic, and if he loved us so much that he gave his only begotten Son that we might live for him. It seems to me that really ought to change a person. 
And he said, what mystifies me, Mr. Payne, is what I have seen in people who say they believe in Jesus. He said, in my village, we have a priest. Every village in Romania has a building that's been built that's very expensive, and most of the people are poor as church mice. And they have one priest in the village that manages that big facility and really controls everything. You don't have a place to marry. You don't have a place to die. You don't have a place in that village if you're not part of that priest's group. And he said everybody in town knew that the priest was the biggest drunkard in town. And he's the vicar of Christ. And in the Romanian Orthodox Church, priests have to be married, unlike the Roman Catholic Church, where they're not allowed to be married. And by the way, 1 Timothy 4 speaks of those who would start teaching that you have to forbid marriage. Remember this? Well, the Orthodox Church doesn't believe you should forbid marriage. They think the priest should be married. The problem with this priest was he also was a philanderer in town. And this is a representative of Christ? And the people in that village would go and go into the confessional and get on their knees and confess their sins to this man. And this young man I was talking to said, that's the opiate of the people. And so he fully agreed with Marx's assessment. If that's what you mean by Christianity, So here's my question, and I know that's an extreme example. And I hope, beloved, he saw something different in us. We didn't have enough time to be with him. But here's my question to you. If someone saw you and interacted with you on a daily basis, and please understand when I say you, I mean me, Would they say, now there's a person for whom it could be said, this one thing I do. My goal in life is the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, and nothing else matters compared to that. Is that what someone would say about me? If it isn't, beloved, there's work to be done. And I'm begging of you today that you don't leave this weekend without deciding in your own personal life, I'm going to be closer to the kind of mind Paul had than I've ever been. And I just want to give you a couple of things that I think that looks like. So here we go. I pray for congregations of saints who are devoted to the Word of God like Jesus was. You see, Jesus is our pattern. Now, I'm not going to turn to Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11, because everybody in this audience knows that's the temptations of Jesus. He was tempted three times, you remember, by Satan in the wilderness. 
after he got, had been out there 40 days and was really hungry. You remember all of this. And I'm not preaching about the temptation so much except to tell you and remind you that when Jesus was tempted, he was tempted as a human being. He is the only human being that has ever been God and man at the same time. And how that works is beyond my understanding. But he was not tempted as God. James 1 says, God cannot be tempted, neither does he tempt any man. Right? James 1. So he was tempted as a human being. He partook of our condition. How did he handle it? He quoted scripture to the devil. Didn't he? So here's my quiz question for you. (laughs) If you had to find the passages that Jesus quoted to the devil, could you tell me where they came from in the Bible? Some of you could, probably. Probably for most of you, it's your favorite book of the Bible, the one you read a lot. I'm joking. He quoted three times from the book of Deuteronomy. (laughs) My memory about Deuteronomy is when I went to Boys State at Florida State and we had the the guy who was the uh, chapel director for for the Florida State Congress speak to us. And he said, I'm going to read you from Deuteronomy. This was the chaplain. Jesus quoted three times from Deuteronomy to defeat Satan. The only deal I want to make about that is Deuteronomy is full of amazing things from God's Word that you need to know. Are you passionate about that? Look, folks, if someone has claimed Jesus Christ is my Lord... He's my everything. The only thing that matters is doing what he wants me to do, to go straight to be with him forever. You'd think I would spend a lot of passionate time trying to figure out what he thinks and what he wants me to do and how he handled things when he was a human being. I would think so. So I'm just asking you. How good are you at taking what God has said and managing every circumstance that comes up in your life that would lead you away from him? That's the question. So let's look at one passage. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 20. Because there's all kinds of lessons in that passage. It's directed to the elders of the church at Ephesus, verse 17. So as I'm reading this, elders in this church, please understand these words are directed straight at you. I'm an elder of the church at Livingston Avenue in in Tampa, Florida. So they're pointed right at me too. But in general, they are principles about which we should all be living. Verse 28 says, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. 
Also from among yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. I don't know if you've noticed, but the Apostle Paul cried a lot. And one of the things he cried about the most was the very idea that someone who once gave their life to Christ would be led off in some direction away from Christ. And so he said to the shepherds of this flock, your job is to help watch out for every soul in this flock and help keep them from drifting away from the one thing that matters. And this church is responsible to hold up their hands and stay with the truth of the message of Jesus Christ. And look how you do that. There's only one hope. Verse 32. Now, brethren, I commend you to God. Pause right there. I commend you to God. That's where it starts. That's what we've been talking about this weekend. I hope you leave the end of this day with a deeper and more majestic and more committed view of who God is and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. You don't stand a chance against Satan if you don't have Jesus Christ and his word. Stand a chance. He's way more powerful than you are. But he's not more powerful than Jesus Christ. So my question, beloved, is how passionate am I about the only thing that gives me hope? The precious word of God. But there's a second thing that I want to emphasize maybe even more because I think it's so practical. And I want you to turn to Matthew 6. In Jesus' words, verse 6, Matthew 6, But you, when you pray, Go into your room, and when you've shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So I pray for Christians who spend time in secret with God. Because I believe that is one of the things that changes your mind into something more of what God wants. And if you will pardon the personal reference, it took me too long in my life to recognize the power of what we just read. And my guess is that there are plenty of you in this church who've been Christians for a number of years who have yet to discover the power of what we've just read. And one of my prayers this morning was, Dear God, give me the words to say it so that every Christian in the hearing of this lesson is convicted 
that he needs to get in the secret place with God every single day. And if you miss it, you've missed one of the foundational principles for your development of the mind that the Apostle Paul had. It says, beloved, that he's waiting for you in the secret place. And that he that sees you in secret will reward you openly. So my first question to you is this. How many people in that room? He said, you go to your room. Some versions say your closet. If your closet's like mine, you don't want to go in there. <laughs> but find a room and close the door. So who's in the room? Me. Not my wife. Not my children. Not my good brother. Nobody else. Me. And God's there with me. That's what he promises. And the amazing thing to me is you find lots of scriptures where he teaches how much he wants to meet us. So I'm going to Revelation 3. There's four passages on the screen. Please write them down and look them up yourself. But we're going to Revelation 3 where Jesus spoke to the church at Laodicea. So this is addressed to Christians. Jesus talking to Christians in a church. Verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. And you know what I like to think about that passage? That's the door to that closet I got in. And Jesus is knocking and saying, you're going to let me in? If you'll open to me and let me in, I will come and eat with you. So here's my question, beloved. And you don't have to answer it to me. This past week, how many days did you not accept that invitation by Jesus to be in a room by yourself with just him? He's waiting. And he has the capacity to be in everybody's room at the same time. I don't understand that either, but he does. And you've been given an invitation, Christian. He's knocking on your door. He wants to go in there and eat with you and be with you. Who is it that's talking? May I remind you what John 1 says? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That's who's talking. The master of the universe is knocking on my door and saying, will you open and let me eat with you by yourself? And to our chagrin, most of us turn that down most days. 
How in the world can you do that, Christian? I hope you learned sooner than I did. The power that's in you that comes from a personal meeting with God every single day. Doesn't have to be forever. Can I tell you what Marilyn says to me when I preach this lesson? She said, when we had three little babies, we had a two-year-old when we had twins. Todd's married to one of our twins. That is not good planning. (laughs) We did not plan it. Marilyn never thought we'd have twins. In fact, she said up to the time it was seven months, no, it's not twins. The doctor said it's either twins or an elephant. And back in those days, you didn't have all the stuff you have today. You had to get x-rayed, and she was not going to be x-rayed. He finally convinced her at the seventh month, you've got to let me know what's going on in there. So she let him x-ray, and sure enough, there were twins. And she said to me, when those twins were little, and she was trying to take care of three babies, all in diapers, and me gone all the time. She said, you preacher talk about getting alone. I couldn't even go to the bathroom without somebody knocking on the door. So look, I get it. We all have busyness and things we have to do and things we've got to take care of. But folks, and I say it very gently to my Maryland and anybody else in similar circumstances, that may be the time you need it most. And if it's five minutes, It ought to be priority because it's your life. Have I made it clear? Here's my last example to try to make it as clear as I can. And I'm not going to read all these scriptures. Don't worry about that. But you notice they're all from the book of Luke? Every one of those scriptures speaks to Jesus Christ when he was a human and what he did. And what you'll find out, if you haven't noticed this pattern before, is that while he was at the busiest time of his life, the three years of his personal ministry, he always and forever found time to get away from everybody else by himself, to pray to the God of heaven, do you think he did that as God? No, beloved. He did that as a man. So if you're going to follow the pattern of Jesus as a man, you're going to get by yourself with God often. Jesus did. And this one here, In Luke 22, you remember? That's the night he went out to the garden after he had Passover with his disciples. You remember what he did? Middle of the night, left the disciples there. Oh, he had some of them close by, but he got off by himself. And he prayed to God. And he did it three times, didn't he? And he was begging the God of heaven not to make him do what he knew he had to do. And he was crying so hard and sweating 
so much that the Bible calls it like drops of blood. But folks, what you maybe don't recognize is he'd been doing that. The passage says, as was his custom. That wasn't the first time he'd been to the garden to pray to God by himself. There's a pattern. So I'll tell you what I hope for every Christian in this audience, and there have been some tragedies in this church recently. Deaths, sicknesses. But what else is new? I hope when the hardest thing that ever happens to you that you have to face, something awful, you will have established a pattern in your life already long since that every single day you're by yourself with the God of heaven pouring out your soul to him. So it becomes so close. There isn't anything you can't talk about. There's things I talk to God about I can't talk to Marilyn about. And I talk to Marilyn about everything, almost. But you can't talk about everything to anybody except him. And why would you want to miss out on that? And it is then you sustain yourself in the midst of the worst, horrible things you have to deal with. But that's not the reason to do it. The reason is, why would you not want a personal connection with the God of heaven who's asking for it? That's the best I can do. But I truly hope everybody sees it. The question is, do I have this mind? Because if you do, you're going to have a part in changing this world in ways you never dreamed. Because folks want real stuff. They want to know somebody that's got his life together, that's got a true purpose. And nothing's going to turn me away from that. People need that in the worst way. And the mess that Todd talked to us about during Bible class this morning, that are there being presented by this world as if they know what they're talking about, and present you with this materialism and postmodernism as if that's the way to live. It is the work of the devil himself put on by intellectuals. You don't need to go there, beloved. And then I pray for congregations of saints that will take the gospel to the whole world, but that's a separate sermon. And I pray for congregations that love one another as Christ loved us, because Jesus said, that's the way you're going to know that you're my disciples. And I see that in this church, lots of love here among each other caring for one another and loving each other and showing what Christianity means. That's the way you make a difference. I press toward the, pri the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And as many of you as are mature, have this mind. That's my lesson for today. Thank you for your good attention.
And may I say to you, I give you an A as a class. Because I didn't see you falling asleep even when we went through that tedious stuff. That's pretty amazing. And Todd was bragging on you for being good listeners. It is hard work to listen to heavy science stuff. It's even hard work to listen to a preacher. (laughs) You were good listeners, it sure seemed to me. And experienced teachers can see you. (laughs) You may think you're hiding back there, but no, 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 no. And you're good listeners. And I pray it'll redound to the glory of God. So we're at the close of our service this morning. And if there's someone here today who sees in your life something lacking that you'd like to get help with, maybe you need to do that privately. Maybe it's in your closet, which is just fine. But maybe there's something public you need to deal with or you just want some help. I'll tell you what would be wonderful if someone here came forward this morning and said, I just want you to pray for me to be more like Paul in his mind. Let's have a prayer for me today to help me be better with that. We don't do that very much, but I'll tell you that would encourage everybody, and even if we don't do that, do it for yourself. And maybe there's someone here that's not a Christian yet. I hope above all else that what we've shown you is the need for you to take Jesus Christ as your master. Because it changes everything. And it makes everything you do meaningful. Everything. If it's given to him. So Jesus said, who believes and is baptized will be saved. We're inviting you to come this morning and say, from your heart, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We'll stop it. And we'll immerse you in water. Because that's what Jesus said to do. And then you can rise to walk a new life as a Christian, devoted. And you get to meet with him every single day, if you will. So won't you come while we stand and we sing. All things are ready. All things are ready.